Good morning, and welcome to Midpoint Wednesday. I'm Shelley Rebeck, your host for WMNF's Mid-Florida, Mid-Week, Mid-Morning, Dose of News and Public Affairs with a Local Perspective. You are, of course, listening to WMNF 88.5 FM, Tampa Bay's only independent FM radio, brought to you by you, because we are supported by our generous listeners, just like you, who keep us commercial-free 24-7. If you are a regular listener of this show, you know that I am generally and transparently very critical of Republicans and most Republican legislative priorities that I believe, at least recently, are hurting Floridians and our beautiful state. But I've made an exception for one Florida Republican legislator in particular. State Senator Jeff Brandis has always really intrigued me since he came on the scene in 2010 because he seemed to be a real anomaly in his own Republican Party. He seemed to be a guy who actually went into politics to solve problems and help people. Pretty extraordinary. Um, For example, Jeff Brandis sincerely and consistently pushed for criminal justice reform, prison reform, and alternative criminal sentencing policies. And I spent decades representing the interests of criminal defendants. So I was very grateful for his efforts, however futile they generally seem to be in the Republican-controlled legislature. Just think about it. Most criminal defendants can't vote in Florida. They have no voice, no power, and most of them have no money. They are the most useless constituency to any politician. But what happens to them matters to society. It matters to them, and it matters to us. No matter how hopeless it looked, Jeff Brandis continued filing bill after bill after bill to push for criminal justice reform anyway, and I admired that. So even as a rookie lawmaker, Jeff Brandis sometimes voted against bills that were popular within the Republican Party, and that has continued even through this session, um, especially lately since DeSantis effectively launched, launched his presidential campaign on the backs of vulnerable Floridians. Jeff Brandis has often been a lonely Republican voice trying to protect Floridians' civil liberties. And he's been bucking the governor's culture war priorities on several high-profile issues, including HB1, the bill to limit street protests, on the legislation to punish social media companies for flagging users' content, and on the commission to oversee gambling in Florida. He voted even against the bills to punish Disney. He even tried unsuccessfully to amend the Don't Say Gay law to keep it from targeting the LGBTQ community. In the end, he was one of two no Republican votes against Don't Say Gay. He fought for a special session on property insurance, and he despaired when it turned out to be so ineffectual. He's even called the leaders of his own party in the House and the Senate spineless jellyfish for focusing on politics and not on policy this session. Taking all of these positions against the governor's priorities cost Senator Brandis his position as the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He was supposed to hold that position until his term expired at the end of this year, but Senate President Wilton Simpson removed him last July and installed a close ally in his place. But what goes around comes around. In some ways, Jeff Brandis has been vindicated. 
To date, the courts have declared the protest bill and the social media bill unconstitutional, and they've thrown out the Florida Gaming Compact that Brandis had also opposed. The Stop Woke Act has been found unconstitutional as applied to private businesses, and the academic restrictions are also still in litigation. The Don't Say Gay law has also been challenged in court, and that challenge has been supported by the attorneys general of 16 states who say it harms children and teachers and has no educational merit. So you could forgive Senator Brandis for saying, I told you so. I wanted to give Senator Brandis that opportunity to say I told you so, and I invited him to be with us this morning on our show. I got confirmation from his office uh, that he would call in and be available for an interview, but he's not with us now. So I think I'm going to open the phones and let you, the listeners, talk about some of the issues that Jeff Brandis has had to address in the Florida Senate this session and what you think the most important policies that Florida needs to be pursuing are today. In fact, you can call in on any topic that interests you today because the lines are open. Um, this has not happened on this show before that a guest has just failed to appear, but um, the show must go on. So I'm going to open the phone lines for you. And if you have questions or comments about politics today in Florida or in our region, I hope you'll give me a call at 813-239-9663. You can email me at dj at wmnf.org or you can text at 813-433-0885. And I hope you do because otherwise you're going to be stuck listening to me for an hour and that won't be very interesting or very uh, <laughs> accommodating to your ears. So um, I have a few topics I want to start the discussion with. Um, first of all, let's talk about DeSantis's very recent arrests of the felon voters for voter fraud. That was one of the topics that I was hoping to discuss with Senator Brandis because he tweeted that the arrestees should be given grace even if they voted illegally because the state told them they could vote. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, to suggest that the arrestees should be given grace is to maybe indicate that the law itself was so unclear that people could accidentally violate it without having the intent to commit a crime. One of the most uh, important um, principles of our Constitution is that the Due Process Clause requires that people be clearly informed of what is prohibited so that they can't accidentally commit a crime. Um, and one of the problems with this voter uh, fraud prosecution is that it looks just like people were not properly informed of how they could properly vote or whether they were ineligible to vote. And that seems to be a clear violation of the Due Process Clause of the Constitution. So uh, I wonder, what, what do you think about that? Let me see. Uh, I have CJ on the line from Sulphur Springs. CJ, you're on the line. Thanks for calling in. Whoop, where's CJ? Oh, my goodness. 
Now the phones aren't working either. Uh, can you, um, let's see, let me ask Jessica, my sound person here, if she can bring him on, on air. I don't know. Um, well, maybe our operations staff will run into the studio and help us figure out why, why today of all days um, our phones are not coming through um, and being broadcast um, right now. Anyway, uh, let's see. We have a text message here. Um, and the text message says, your wonderful introduction of Jeff Brandis makes me wonder why he's a Republican or a member of any party for that matter from Charles in Tampa. Gosh, Charles, you know, we have a mind meld here because uh, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask him. Um, why are you still a Republican? Unfortunately, he is not with us. And of course, if he calls in and he's welcome to do so at any time, we'll bring him into the conversation. But right now we're going to talk to CJ from Sulphur Springs. CJ, you're on the air. Thank you. How are you today? I'm a little flustered, CJ. My guest didn't show up, but I'm thrilled that you're here. Yeah, well, I heard that. You know how so many times say you will when you want. But uh, that doesn't happen to me, CJ. I'm a Virgo. If I say I will, I will. I'm on the cusp of Libra and Scorpio. So the situation is that the cannabis mafia has been taking over, you know, the political process. The Florida legislature says that volunteers are not eligible to take signatures for the uh, petition. And uh, people like uh, uh, True Thief Dispensaries have donated $5 million, so things like that, their petition takers couldn't be paid. And that way it puts the ball in their court. And True Thief and all of those like them will continue to have access to the entirety of the recreational cannabis situation. But it will pass. 70% of the people want it, but they're making it just like they did with the medical uh, marijuana thing where... We can only get it from them, and they charge such absorbent, outrageous prices. Now, CJ, wait. Let me back up for a second. You're talking about uh, a citizen initiative petition to put uh, to make Florida recreational marijuana legal. Is that what you're talking about? Yes, it is. Okay, so that that would have to. We can't. It's too late to get that on this November's ballot. So I think you're talking no, about 2024, right? That's right. So they're slowly moving into it. The legislature has banned uh, volunteer-free workers, and the dispensaries, after having taken advantage of the people for the medicinal aspect of it, have lots of money in that. It's not only it's not only the the dispensaries though. It's um I, from what I understand, like some big like rock stars and country music stars, yes, like, like the Bellamy Bell, Brothers, and oh, absolutely the country screech. They're taking advantage of the situation. Everybody's piling on to get as much out of it as possible, and the people are being taken advantage of it by them, and they're continuing to find ways to do it and seem to be in step with Florida legislature that says, well, you can't volunteer your time for that cause. You have to be paid, and the sponsors can't afford it, therefore they can't have it. But the dispensaries can afford it because 
we've already overpaid them gazillions already for outrageous. Well, I'm having trouble understanding, CJ, whether you have a complaint about that or you think it's a good idea. No, I think it's a horrible idea. It takes it out of the hands of the people. It puts it in the ballpark of the dispensaries who have already robbed us of the five million that they're donating to pay the people that will take the signatures for the petition that will show up on the twenty four. Well, I, I guess if you're you know in favor of the initiative itself, I mean you want to get it on the ballot um, one way or another. If it's gotten on there by the people who are already taking advantage of us. It still keeps the reasonable pricing and the possibility of being able to acquire it without paying absorbent, outrageous prices. I see. And okay. They dilute it to the point where it's only about a third of the strength that it should be to begin with. Dilute it and then charge all of this huge amounts of money. It's like a cannabis mafia. Okay, I think I get your point. Thanks for calling in and raising it. I appreciate that. Maybe there are some other listeners who want to join in on that uh, discussion about the possibility of putting a legalization of cannabis uh, initiative on the 2024 ballot. Thanks for calling in, CJ. Appreciate it. I have Steve uh, from Tampa on the line who wants to talk about voter fraud. Thanks for calling in, Steve. Hi. Uh, too bad that you're... Uh Brand wasn't able to get in. Maybe. My friend, no, this is state a state senator. He's a politician. I never met him. I was hoping to have a, a conversation with him, though, because he's kind of a unique Republican in Florida politics. Uh huh. Yeah. No, I'm just. I just wanted to raise the possibility that it might have been a technical difficulty with him calling in, as opposed to just blowing it off. But that's irrelevant. On the, you know, on the. The sort of press conference flanked by law enforcement officers. Here's what we're doing for, you know, the DeSantis um, press conference. Right. With respect to former felons, former felons who had been charged. Right. Who tried to vote. Now, well, I th once you're a felon, you're pretty much a felon. I mean, it's a label that stays with you. Yeah, that's true. With respect to, you know, why they voted illegally, whether it was a technicality, whether they were misinformed by well-intentioned people trying to get out of the vote. What I'm struck with is this. And not only Florida, but Florida, you know, the, you know, all the folks, you know, who railed about electoral, you know, and voter, you know, fraud and, you know, the integrity of the election system. Is this the best that Florida can come up with? in terms of electoral fraud and electoral integrity? Well, you know, um, Steve, there is what's so um, appalling to me is how crass uh, the governor's voter fraud uh, press uh, event was and going after these very vulnerable people who sure. appear yeah. to have been told by the state that yeah. they were eligible yeah. to vote, and that's why they voted. But there's been yeah. not a peep from the governor about all of the uh, Republican voter fraud that's been disclosed that occurred out of the villages, which is a very, you know, uh, deep Republican stronghold. And even more, even more appalling than that is that there hasn't been a peep out of the governor 
over the revelations that have come to light about the inf- like outsized influence of Florida Power and Light Corporation in funding ghost candidates to skew elections in South Florida. And recently, I think as recently as yesterday, we learned that they were funneling money in $25,000 increments into Ron DeSantis's own reelection campaign. Now, all of that is is not is the whole ghost uh, candidate situation in South Florida is are is the subject of criminal investigations. And I believe down the line, um, if we have courageous prosecutors willing to to complete those investigations and bring the responsible individuals to justice, we will see that that activity by Florida, Florida Power and Light to corrupt our elections is just totally illegal. But we don't hear a peep about that from Ron DeSantis. Well, I don't think it's I don't think it's in his interest to explore that issue with respect to utilities and the sort of shenanigans they engage in. You know, that's um, you know this is a particularly egregious example, but you can trace a lot of this back to the Supreme Court decision of Citizens United. Sure. And you know, there's there's not a whole lot that we can do about it, and uh, particularly now, you know. With well, hold up. Uh, there's not a whole lot we can do about Citizens United? Well, the Supreme Court decision with respect to, um, you know, uh, ballot contributions, uh, you know, are we talking about the same case? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one of the things we can do is vote. Because, you know, the Congress has the ability and the power and the jurisdiction to override that Supreme Court decision with law yeah and you know without you know getting into i mean and i'm not trying to one-up or best ball i'm a lawyer and you know i've been a lawyer for four and a half decades i think the likelihood of this congress or any conceivable congress in the near future you know overruling that i think that's highly unlikely and so we do have to get out the boat i agree with that completely i guess the point i was trying to make is that if the best Florida can come up with is felons, you know, who were probably misinformed and trying to do their civic duty and, you know, sort of renew their participation in the citizenry, if that's the best they got, they've labored mightily and brought forth a mouse. And yeah. It's just, you know, it's, you know, it's distressing. It was political theater, really. It was just political theater. I mean, thank God that we have this election integrity unit. <laughs> and I say that, you know, ironically, cynically and sarcastically because, you know, they they have picked this low-hanging fruit that uh, doesn't even appear to be, uh, you know, criminally motivated people voting against the law. And... And they've ignored things like the Florida Power and Light influence. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, let's stick with, you know, what it, I mean, I think that it's highly likely that whatever judge this goes to, Republican or Democrat, they're going to view this as exactly how you've analyzed it, political theater, and if an individual has got even a remotely plausible, innocent explanation for casting the ballot, because it made no difference to the outcome. And if there was no, what the lawyers call, mens rea or criminal intent, you know, they're not even likely to be fined. They will probably, and, and I'm not suggesting 
then getting dragged in, you know, getting criminally charged is, you know, a zero. It certainly isn't, but I doubt very, I mean, this is, this is all going to end up being not much at all, except for the poor individuals who've been charged and, you know, who were, you know, they weren't perp walked at the press conference, but I mean, it's just, you know, they're being harassed. Okay. Well, Steve, I'm going to let you go now because I'm being told that uh, Senator Brandis has just joined us. So let me see if I can't bring him into the conversation now. Senator Brandis, are you on the line with us? I'm on. Good morning. Oh, good morning to you. Um, Thanks for calling in. (laughs) Of course. I was trying to uh, to uh, dance around the fact that the show uh, was starting without your your uh, presence and so I'm I'm grateful that you that you actually made it on. So you missed my introduction uh that uh discussed how uh, anxious I was to talk with you and how how interested I was in your political career as I followed it over the years. Um particularly your focus on criminal justice reform since you got to the legislature in 2010. Um we don't know each other, but I was a criminal defense attorney for more than three decades. And so I followed with interest your efforts year after year after year to push forward criminal justice measures in a legislature that was not really hospitable to them. Uh, but you didn't give up. And that always really uh, impressed me. And I wondered, how is a guy who is a multimillionaire military veteran, uh, how, how did you become the champion for criminal justice reform in the Florida legislature? I started touring prisons. I started touring prisons and I saw how dysfunctional they were, how uh, miserable the living conditions were, how little uh, education activity was going on inside the prisons. I learned about the release system, which in Florida involves 50 bucks and a bus pass. Uh, The fact that Florida has uh, the 85% rule for both violent and nonviolent offenders and no parole. Uh, And so when you kind of add all these things together, you have a system that really is, is not really a Department of Corrections anymore, but really a Department of Warehousing. And then when you look at the Florida Criminal Justice Code and you realize that Florida has over 100 different offenses that carry these mandatory minimums, uh, where if, if the case ultimately goes to trial, then the judge has no choice but to implement this mandatory minimum. But what often happens is prosecutors get involved and prosecutors can waive mandatory minimums. It's one of the powers that prosecutors have that judges don't. Um, and so we saw them using the, the mandatory minimums really as a way to force plea deals. And so kind of these combination of factors where, for, you know, the U.S. really doesn't have a trial system anymore. It really has a plea system. Oh, you are so right about that. 97% of these cases are going to plea out. Exactly. And when you have these mandatory minimums out there hanging like a sword over your head, like even if you feel like you're innocent or you believe you have a tribal case, you're very likely to take a plea deal because if you're found guilty, the mandatory minimum could be extreme. Absolutely. Um, but one of the things I mentioned in, in my intro to the show before you joined us was that, um, you know, most criminal defendants can't vote in Florida. They have no vo- voice and uh, most of them have no money. And they're the most useless constituency to any politician. Um, but they mattered to you. And, um, and I just wondered, you know, how do you explain to regular everyday Floridians that they should matter to them too? Well, I think Amendment 4 was a changing point in Florida. Amendment 4 was a proposition put on the con- uh, as a constitutional amendment by the people of the state. 
who said, look, we recognize that, you know, felons should have a pathway to get back to vote. Um, and, the, and the pathway is, is fairly straightforward. Um, if you're not a murderer, if you're not somebody who's committed a sexual offense, you must complete all terms of your sentence, which includes paying your restitution, your fines, your fees, anything the judge puts on the paper, you've got to complete that. And then once you've proven that you've completed that, you can go register to vote. Uh, so to me, that was a real tipping point. And I think one that I think, you know, obviously 65% of Floridians agreed with that people should have a pathway to getting their votes re restored. Prior to that, you had to go through this arduous process of ultimately getting before, you know, the cabinet or the governor in order to have those types of rights restored. And what we were seeing is, you know, only a handful of people every year would get their rights restored. Right. In the meantime, this backlog of people would come in, you know, you had, you know, almost 85, 100,000 people who didn't have their rights restored and were likely never going to get their rights restored in Florida. You know, you were the sponsor of the bill that required the felons to pay all their outstanding fines and fees before they could legally be permitted to vote. But I'm sure by now you understand that many counties don't have that information relative, uh, readily available and older convictions um, in many cases, the records are difficult to retrieve or incomplete, and out-of-state convictions can be impossible for people without means uh, to retrieve. And so there's really no comprehensive state mechanism um, like there is supposed to be with regard to the to uh, the voter purge, for example, um, that apparently missed or the timing was off about these people in the uh, recent DeSantis political theater arrests of the voter fraud uh, defendants, but there's no state mechanism, no accurate comprehensive archive of the fines and fees that that felons may still owe uh, that they can reference to cure that, uh, even well, if they want to. Well, the challenge is these 20 individuals, they wouldn't have qualified under the all terms of condition, all terms of condition. Right. They're different. Uh, anyway, they're in a different category correct. because of their they're, convictions. They're convicted of murder or they're convicted of a sexual offense. Right. Um, so actually, that's a very fairly straightforward list, right? We know the individuals that have been convicted of murder in Florida. There's a spreadsheet on that. You know the individuals who committed a sexual offense. The problem is the Secretary of State messed up. Right. And they let these people, they didn't check those lists, or they slipped through the crack and allowed these people to get voter registration cards. And then people thinking that they've been cleared went out and voted. I think uh, it, the, the, the state attorney in any of these jurisdictions is going to have a very, very difficult time showing these people did this with any intent to commit voter fraud. And I would imagine most of these cases will get tossed. I, I tend to agree with you, but, you know, you tweeted that the arrestees should be given grace, even if they voted illegally, because the state told them they could vote. So I'm curious, what what exactly did you mean by that? When When you talk about what is grace in this context, do you mean that prosecutors can exercise their discretion to toss these cases? Is, is that? Well, no, I think, well, I mean, I, I don't think many of these cases should have been brought. Mm. I think, I think you know, when the, the legislation specifically says you have to have, you have to do it willingly, which means you have to show some intent. Right. It doesn't have to be evil intent, but it does have to be some knowledge and intent of what you're doing. And what you find is most of these people had no knowledge. Some of these individuals struggle to read. Um, and so what you're finding it over and over again is, you know, they went to their local Walmart. There was somebody sitting there with a booth that had a registration. They asked that individual, hey, have felons gotten their rights restored? That individual said yes. They signed up, sent it off. The state didn't do its job and, and you know, sent them a voter registration card. You know, if you got a driver's license, 
you think you'd be able to drive. You had a voter registration card. You think you're able to vote. Right. Um, and they went out and voted, and now they're facing potentially five years in prison. You know, many of the things that uh, you say in the in, in the early part of our conversation are important about criminal justice reform um, are the same things that Hillsborough County State Attorney Andrew Warren ran on as a reformist prosecutor. And, you know, he made statements indicating he intended to use his discretion in a way to what looks to me like afford grace uh, to people who uh, were seeking abortion as health care and to transgender medical care, seeking transgender medical care. And I'm wondering, what do you think about the governor's removal of Warren from office the way he did? Was he justified in removing him? It seems like, you know, he did exactly what you say responsible prosecutors should do. I'm not going to take a position on whether he was justified in doing it or not. I think what makes it interesting is Andrew Warren didn't have any pending cases uh, against him. He had just made a a verbal statement or a written statement, right? Right. No pending cases. No pending cases. uh, On either of those topics. So the governor removed a state attorney for, for a statement not for an action, which is something very different. I don't know that I've seen, you know, it's very different than when in Orange County, when we had a a state attorney who said, I'm no longer going to pursue the death penalty on any cases. And Governor Scott moved those cases to another state attorney to prosecute. Yeah, there were pending cases. Those were pending cases and very serious pending cases. But in this case, we have a verbal statement or a written statement, but no actual pending cases of prosecution. So I think the courts are going to look at this very differently. I don't know how the legislature is going to look at it, um, the, you know, but I think that therein lies the question. Well, if you if you are still in the Senate in the when it comes up um, in the next session, how would you vote? I would have a very difficult time supporting the governor's position simply because he actually didn't commit any actions. He made statements. And I think statements aren't enough to overturn the will of the people. Well, actions are right. That is the basis, or one of the um, bases in his um, in his lawsuit, uh, seeking to overturn the suspension. um, That he didn't. He made statements. It's based on his the exercise of his First Amendment rights. And in fact, um, as I said, he he was a reformist prosecutor who was promoting many of the same kinds of criminal justice reforms that you over and over and over have tried to get the Florida legislature to enact. Well, I think if you poll if you poll individually the different state attorneys, there's a lot of them that support criminal justice reform. They recognize how broken the system is. Most judges that I know have never toured a prison. They they don't know what they're sending people into. They don't know that these facilities are understaffed, that the, sta- the staff that is there is overworked, that oftentimes, you know, these individuals aren't getting any rec time. They aren't getting education time. Most facilities I've toured have 1,500 inmates and maybe one teacher or often no teachers. Um, so, so they're not getting an education while they're in. They're basically just learning how to be better criminals because right. that's the people they're surrounded with because there's no other activity going on. Um, and, and so, you know, we're not getting the kinds of outcomes that we want. Uh, out of the system. And to me, we should be an outcome-based system. Let's look at the best practices from around the country and adopt those and recognize that the number one motivating factor to getting people out uh, or to getting people an education or getting them skills is if they can get time shaved off their sentence. Mm -hmm. That's just impossible in Florida because of the way our our laws are set up. Right. 
Right. Why do you think you've been? Why do you think that the legislature has really failed to to uh, um, you know to go with you on on these points? I mean, is it because we have such an enormous uh, privatized prison system in Florida? We actually don't have a huge prison system, a privatized prison. I mean, of our you know fifty five major facilities, only seven of them are privatized. So a vast majority of our system is public. Uh, but, you know, if, listen, if I had to go to a prison today, I would beg to go to a private prison because those are the ones that are air-conditioned. They're nicer. The food's probably better. Um, and, and there's more education and activities going on in those prison systems. But um, the, the public systems are really the ones that are, that are really struggling um, to maintain even a, a minimum level of staffing at any one time. And, you know, listen, when you don't have enough staff to watch your inmates, what happens is the inmates watch each other and the inmates... You know, the, the, the gangs watch the inmates and the gangs roll the place. And that's ultimately what's happened in the Florida prison system. Uh, and so if you look at, you know, where the drugs are coming in, where everything's going, it's being run by the gangs, which exist inside the prison system. And that's largely because there's so much idle time and so much downtime. Uh, and there's no activities for people and there's no education for people. Yeah, I certainly have. Uh, toward those prisons, and I, I have to agree with you. That is exact. What you're describing is exactly the tragic circumstances. Um, you're listening to Midpoint on WMNF Community Radio, and we are talking with State Senator Jeff Brandis, who is term limited and leaving the Florida Senate at the end of the year. If you have some questions or comments for Senator Brandis, you can call us at eight one three two three nine nine six six three. You can email me at dj at wmnf dot org, or you can text at eight one three four three three zero eight eight five. I want to go back uh, to a second. Uh, to what we were talking about, the fines and fees, which was your your bill um, requiring felons to pay all fines and fees of their offenses before they can be returned to the voter rolls. Um, and again, we have no accurate archive for people to research what they owe. And in many cases, there are serious errors in the information that, that the various counties have uh, collected on these people. Um, payments are not recorded properly. Uh, there have been um, mitigations uh, by the courts over the term of their sentence. And so even it's become so difficult for people to research what they actually need to pay um, that aren't we effectively keeping them from voting just by keeping them in the dark on this type of information? Well, understand what the constitutional amendment says. The constitutional amendment says that you must complete all terms of your sentence. Now, the courts, the ACLU, FRRC, the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, if you look at their early statements on what that meant, that means, and even what their attorney said before the Florida Supreme Court, he said that means you've got to pay, you've got to complete everything the judge put on your sentence. Now, right today, people can go to their local, um, their local clerk of court, and they should be able to get a record of what they still owe outstanding. What makes this complicated is if you have multiple felonies in multiple jurisdictions, and you have to go to each one of those clerks of court, or you can send a letter to the Secretary of State, and they'll actually pull the clerks of court for you and give you a record. And if you complete that record, then um, then you'll be allowed to vote. If you go to your clerk of court and get a and get a, a, a you know a list of what's outstanding from your sentence and complete that, you should be able, with good faith, to take that that completion document that shows a zero balance that you paid all your fines and fees um, to the Secretary of State or to the, the supervisor elections and get that sent up with your paperwork. And, and then they should be able to get a voting card. 
So it's not impossible to get. Obviously, ten, tens of thousands, you know, thousands of people in Florida have gotten their rights restored, and there is groups that are actively working to help individuals get their rights restored if they want them restored, um, and if they have if they want to work towards completing all terms of sentence. All right. Well, I'm going to turn to some emails we've gotten here. Um, I have an email from David who says, proud to have supported Jeff in his election to the Senate. What does he feel are the main differences between Governor DeSantis and his challenger, Charlie Crist? You want to, you want to address that? Sure, absolutely. Look, I think Governor DeSantis um, you know, has a, a very different vision for Florida than, than Charlie Crist has. I think that uh, Charlie has obviously been governor of the state before. Charlie is not a policy person. He uh, he is much more of kind of the, I, I see him as kind of like the, the consummate politician. Um, DeSantis is much more policy focused. I agree with some of those policies and I disagree with some of those policies, but I think he's much more policy focused. Um, I, I think the challenge Governor DeSantis has is, you know, his, his desire, I think, is ultimately to be president of the United States. And I think um, that, is, uh, you know, it's a challenge when you're running a state like Florida, uh, when you're also trying to run as a, as somebody who's running for president of the United States. But I think it's, it's, you know, I think he just has a, they just have very different visions for Florida. Yeah. You've, uh, pro- you've protested that, uh, DeSantis is nationalizing of legislative priorities to focus on the culture wars, um, caused him to ignore a lot of the problems at home, real problems like the property insurance crisis. And uh, as someone whose property insurance was lost twice this year, already one company went bankrupt, one company's leaving the state. I I have to say thank you for putting up a valiant fight for more reform, but ultimately we didn't get enough reform. What what should the legislature have done regarding the property insurance crisis? Yeah, look, uh, Florida's on an unsustainable trajectory as it comes to property insurance. We have companies that are leaving the state. Um, We have citizens that's growing exponentially. Um, and that's essentially socializing the risk to you and I as Floridians, because if there's a large storm, citizens isn't going to have the money to pay it. And they're going to have to come back and, and either take pull money out of reserves, um, which is basically our tax dollars, or they're going to have to assess every Floridian's t- uh, property insurance policies or car insurance policies in order to come up with those resources to pay those claims. So a healthy property insurance market is really, really important in Florida. The challenge for Florida is, we are the most litigious state in the country when it comes to property insurance. Florida represents 8% of total U.S. property claims, but we are 80% of the litigation in property insurance in the nation. The average for every other state is less than like 1,000 lawsuits a year. Florida had 107,000 lawsuits last year. Citizens' property insurance gets sued 900 times a month. Tell me another business that you know of that gets sued or has to, it could maintain a level of getting sued 900 times a month. It's, it's outrageous. So Florida has to make it, you know, Florida, Florida has this kind of unique situation where it's the most hurricane prone state and it's the most litigious state in the country. Those two things cannot exist, coexist and have low property insurance rates. So we either have to do significant tort reform, which in my mind is just three things. Um, get rid of one way attorney's fees, get rid of assignment of benefits and allow for actual cash value or stated value on roofs. If you go through those three things, which many other states have done, then what you will find is property insurance will normalize here in Florida. But until we get rid of the litigious society that we're, that exists in the state today on property insurance, um, what we're going to find is that rates are going to continue to go up 30 or 40%, and we're going to continue to have companies pull out of the state. And, and you know, less competition means higher prices. 
All right. Well, let's talk transportation. Uh, that's been another issue that you've been um, really interested in. How can Hillsborough County get its transportation tax money back? We need that money. Uh, what should we be doing with regard to transportation planning in this region? Well, I mean, I think you've got to think regional. I mean, you, you, the, the, the challenge you have in this area is um, there, there's kind of pockets of transportation and there's huge gaps in between those. Um, and, you know, Pinellas County was, and, and Hillsborough were really never set up as rail kind of corridors. And the cost to make them rail corridors now would be exponentially more expensive. I think we have to realize that, you know, we're kind of in this time between, you know, cars are getting more electric. We need to be focusing on electrification. But we also need to be focusing on um, improving existing infrastructure to handle more, to handle more uh, throughput. We're not going to, you know, if they wanted to put in a rail system to go from Hillsborough to Pinellas, it would take 20 years, it would, and it would cost billions of dollars, and it would only move maybe one, two percent of of, of people um, throughout the region. Um, it, still, you have to recognize 98 percent of people are still going to use their cars. So, what are we doing to focus on the main thing, which is the the, the car transportation? Um, and I think if Hillsborough County wants to get the access to those funds. They're going to have to do another amendment. Uh, they're going to have to do another type of, <laughs> of of ballot initiative in order to get access. Well, you know, you said most people are going to continue to use their cars. I mean, isn't it a chicken and an egg kind of thing? They have no choice but to use their cars in this region because we don't have any kind of alternatives, you know, effective alternatives. Um, and so I, I, I really see it as more of a chicken and egg problem. I mean, if we had transportation alternatives, we could get people out of their cars. Um, and I, yeah, I just the, question the, the focus on, on keeping people in their cars. Well, the challenge is the region is so large. Um, and, you know, if you want to go from – it's not just taking people from downtown St. Pete to downtown Tampa. You're going to have to go to downtown Clearwater, and you're going to have to go to North County, and you're going to have to go out to, to, to Temple Terrace. And when you start kind of adding up the cost of, of buying all of that right-of-way, of actually constructing the rail system, of actually getting there, and then you say, all right, well, how many people are actually going to use that system on a day-to-day basis? Well, you're talking 2%. You're still going to have 98% of people driving because, you know, they're going to have to pick up their kids. They're going to have to do run errands. They're going to leave for a work meeting. You know, they've got other things going on. Other th- so, That's certainly true, but, you know, around the country – Bigger regions than ours have managed it. I just, you know, so I'm, I'm kind well, of... Well, I mean, yeah, sure, New York has, but again, half of the subway stops, you know, in the country are in New York City. But New York City was built around the subway system. We would be building, we would be building a transportation system um, uh, around a city, which is very different than building a city around a transportation system. Um, and that's what happened in New York and some of these other cities that have much better mass transit. And they don't have to cost a body of water either, which is incredibly expensive to build a bridge to do that. All right. Well, you know, I want to change uh, focus a little bit here. I've gotten several emails here that ask variations on the same question, which is, um, I really like Jeff Brandis. I'm a Democrat. 
but he's a Republican. I mean, you are on WMNF, so you're going to get a lot of Democrats uh, in our listening pool. But um, most of these emails are saying, I really like Jeff Brandis. I'm a Democrat, but he's a Republican I can get behind. Will he run for governor or perhaps for U.S. Congress? We need more reasonable, honest, and ethical politicians like him to represent Florida. I've got like five of those type <laughs> emails, so I've got to ask, um, is higher office in your future? Uh, I, look, I'm going to take a break for a while. I have young kids. Most of my, my my kids have never known me outside the political world. They know a dad who disappears off the face of the earth 130 days out of the year. Um, my oldest is 14. My youngest is eight. I'm going to take a break for a while and focus on them. And then, uh, you know, I hope to be back in, in, in the future. But I would say I'm more of a libertarian than I am even a Republican, which always made me an odd duck, even amongst my Republican colleagues, because they really didn't know how to handle a libertarian. Yeah, I've called you a unicorn in the Republican Party. Right. right. I mean, you know, and so I'm somebody who for, focuses on criminal justice reform uh, and focuses on some of the other issues, that, you know, uh, you know, legalization of, of cannabis um, and adult use. You know, I've taken some pretty, pretty libertarian stances in my time in the legislature. Uh, and that's, you know, led me to be shunned at times by some of my Republican colleagues who just don't have the same vision. But, you know, what I think I've been able to do is take on some of these important issues and at least move the ball forward. I mean, people don't realize that, you know, when Amendment 4 came out, I specifically asked to run that legislation because I knew how how it could be done fairly and reasonably and how it could be done unfairly. And I knew at least I would look at it with an eye towards grace and an eye towards rec- trying to, as best I could, align with voter intent when I when I took that on. Um, and so, and I knew there was going to be slings and arrows that were thrown at me because I, you know, I knew what the constitutional amendment said. Yeah, didn't you lose your chairmanship of the um, judiciary committee over bucking the establishment? And in- well, yeah, when you want to close four prisons uh, without a plan, uh, that seems to be uh, uh, something that I couldn't support. And so that's ultimately what what I think cost me my chairmanship is because I took a stance of, of not supporting. Uh, a, pre, a Senate presidential priority of closing down four prisons. And I said, listen, if you want to do it, that's fine, but have a plan. Mm-hmm. Don't play Russian roulette with small towns in Florida and don't play Russian roulette with the prison system, which is already incredibly fragile. Um, and, and so um, I think, you know, the governor recognized that. That's why he, he essentially vetoed that provision uh, in the budget two years ago was he wasn't willing to play Russian roulette either. Right. So, you know, I felt pretty justified with my positions. Like, so I sleep really You've well been vindicated on a lot of your positions. Uh, you know, you, you came on a little late to the show, but I, I reviewed the fact that this was your chance to say, I told you so on a number of things. Um, you know, a number of the positions that you've taken against some of these culture war uh, policy uh, initiatives of the governor uh, have been overturned in the courts. And so well, this is I, your chance I, to say, I told you so. I'm not going to say that. I, nobody likes to hear, I told you so. But what I will say is, listen, we have a constitution. The constitution guarantees certain rights. And even the legislature is not able to take those rights away from you. Um, and whether that goes with, you know, dealing with social media companies or even issues like dealing with Disney and trying to pull their special district status right. without, without a larger plan and without recognizing the burden that was going to put on the counties. I mean, there's a lot of, I think my big takeaway after doing this for over a decade in Tallahassee is so much of the thinking in Tallahassee is tactical and not strategic, right? There isn't a larger strategy towards what we're going to do with housing affordability. There really isn't a larger strategy with what we're, how we're going to handle our prison system. There really isn't a larger strategy of how we're going to deal with property insurance. We're, 
we do a lot of little tactical moves, mm-hmm. but they're, they aren't playing towards a larger strategy. And so it's one of the reasons I'm in the process of starting a nonprofit organization called the Florida Policy Project, which is going to look at these, you know, just four areas of public policy, criminal justice, property insurance, transportation, and housing affordability, try to identify the best practices in the country and try to lean on my legislative colleagues and my, you know, years of experience now to help them think more strategically about these problems than tactically. And do you think that you can be effective in that role with either DeSantis or Chris as governor? Absolutely. I mean, I think I think what you find is most legislators really struggle to come up with, you know, uh, the, the, the you know, really struggle to kind of find the best thinking in the country. They aren't able to go to all the conferences. They aren't able to 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 kind of gather the experts um, and because many of them, you know, they're, they're only there for four years or there for you know six years. Most of them don't term out. Most of them move on or run for another office. Um, and so they rely me, on Alec a lot. Are you going to be an alternative to Alec? Well, I'm, I, you know, I I'll work with whoever I feel like has the best practice in the country, right? I, I don't dismiss any group. Um, I'm I'm looking for what is what is the best practice, and if that happens to come from Alec, listen, we're just going to have to suck it up and, and realize that they had the best idea um, in order to solve this problem. Um, but I get a lot of my work from NCS, the National Council of State Legislators, which is kind of an alternative to Alec or the Council of State Governments, or frankly, just by talking to experts from around the country um, who deal with this stuff day to day. Listen, we have an affordable housing crisis in Florida. Yes, we uh, do. And, and so we have to figure out what are our strategy to deal with it, recognizing that the way Florida currently spends housing dollars is pathetic. Uh, we, we, you know, last year we built like less than 14, 1,500 units statewide using our, you know, our, our millions of affordable housing dollars. Well, you know, when you have 800 people moving to the state a day and you only built 1,500 units statewide, that's, a, that's not even a drop in the bucket. It's like vapor in the bucket. Yeah. Well, we're we getting to... short on time, but I feel like I have a couple things I need to ask you since I have you. Sure. Um, you've been such a unicorn in the Republican Party, so I need to ask, what are your thoughts on the new third party being formed by your fellow Pinellas guy, David Jolly and Andrew Yang and Christy Todd Whitman? Whitman. Do you see a place for yourself in a third party? Mm, no, I really think I, I think my better place is to be uh, a libertarian voice and focus my Republican colleagues on less government and continuing to push them um, on our, what, what I believe is our core principles. I think most young Republicans really would better identify as libertarians because that's where they are. I don't think most of them care who you marry, and I think most of them support adult-use cannabis. I think most of them want a free and open society, um, and I think you know, that's where most people are and, and on a lot of these topics. Um, and, and so I think my better place is to stay within the Republican Party and yet be a voice of, of less government within the party. Because I think even the Republican Party tends to kind of fall back into where the Democrats go sometimes, which is government is the solution for this problem. Government can't be the solution to every problem. The biggest problem I see in government is, you know, the government handles so much that it does so little um, well, it, it just does so many things poorly. So even if Trump was the leader of the of the Republicans, you're comfortable staying a Republican at this point? Yeah, because there has to be voices within the party to push back on ideas. Mm. Right? You can't just you can't just abandon ship because you don't like what the captain's currently saying. You have to be able to advocate to the captain to make better decisions. Mm. 
Well, we're going to leave the light on for you over here in the in the Democratic Party. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to leave the porch light on for you, uh, Senator Brandis. Um, I am I am very very grateful that you uh, joined us today. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you want our listeners to know? Well, I think the key thing is, you know, Florida is thriving. If you look at what's going on around the country, there's a reason people are voting with their feet and moving to Florida. And if you don't, even if you don't even if you disagree with some of the things the current leadership is doing, recognize Florida is an amazing place to live, and that we're going to continue. The legislature is continue to focus on making sure that we're one of the freest states in the country for for individuals to to, to live, work, and play, uh, and that we're going to keep the tax rates low. Uh, and that, you know, and that is, you know, despite some of the, the things that my colleagues end up doing, that is at, at the core where Florida is. It's always it's, it's always going to have different leaders um, that have different perspectives, but its core is making sure that we're a great free state. All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us. I'm really grateful that you gave us this time and your thoughts. I wish you a lot of luck with your, would you call it a policy think tank that you're <laughs> You're starting. It's more like a, it's a, hopefully it's going to be a policy do tank. Okay, uh, policy do tank. I like we're, that. We're going we're to do more than think. All right. Well, I, I really appreciate you being with us, um, and I uh, wish you luck with that. And uh, thanks also to our WMNF volunteers who make the show happen: Jessica Green on the soundboard, Barbara Fling who answered our phones. Uh, thank you to my listeners who helped me uh, get through the early part of the show before our guest joined us. Appreciate you uh, and your participation. And if you joined us late in the show, feel free to go back and listen on demand from the Midpoint archives at WMNF.org slash Midpoint or on the WMNF app or find us at WMNF Midpoint wherever you get your podcasts. I also want to thank uh, our listeners for your interest and support of Midpoint all the time. If you enjoyed the show, please consider dropping a tip in the tip jar and please direct your donation to MPW, Midpoint Wednesday. Please stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss, who's up next. We are WMNF Tampa. Thank you.